Well, good morning, Cherrydale family, and a happy new year. <laughs> My name is Kirk Heldrith, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your elders here. And um, over the last five weeks, we had uh, been taking time in the Advent season to prepare ourselves for the great rejoicing of the birth of our Savior last Sunday. And today, we again, we pick up the series on David, um, and we are looking at chapter 26 of 1 Samuel. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank You so much that You have not left us unto ourselves. You have given us the written Word. You have given to us the Holy Spirit, who is the author of that Word and the one who illumines and helps us to understand it. And I pray today that Your Spirit will have full freedom to take that Word apply it in our hearts, help us to act upon it so that we are not those who just know the Word, but do as You would have us to. We need Your help to accomplish that, and we pray Your Spirit will enable that as well. We ask in Jesus' name and for His sake, amen. With this brand new year of 2023, we have the opportunity to do the next right thing. We have the privilege to do what it is that the Lord would have us to do as we walk with Him. And I wonder, have you ever thought to yourself, wouldn't it be great if I could literally have walked with Jesus just like His disciples did? I have thought that. But then I stop and think, you know, there might be some downside to that. For instance, Walking with Jesus and sharing with Him our thoughts, we might have immediate correction to wrong thinking. It happened to the Peter. Peter one day, as he is listening to Jesus teach about uh, being right with one another and uh, going to a brother to make it right who sinned against you, and laid out the principles that if uh, your brother has sinned, why go to him, and eventually in the process, you may even have to bring it to the church for discipline. And as Peter is dwelling on and thinking about that, he comes to a conclusion, and he turns to Jesus and says to him, how often do I forgive the one who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter knew that the rabbis taught that you should forgive people more than once, you should forgive them up to three times. Of course, after that, you don't have to forgive them anymore. But Peter, knowing the heart of Jesus, multiplied that by two and then went ahead and added one and said, how many times do I continue to forgive? Up to seven times? I suspect he was taken back when Jesus said to him, I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 490 times of forgiving? Well, not exactly. I think what he's saying is don't count, just continue to forgive. And then he shares the story. The kingdom can be likened to a king who uh, wanted to settle accounts with those who owed him money. And so he brought in a servant. And this servant owed in today's dollars 
seven trillion five hundred million dollars to the king. And the king said to him, it's time to pay your debt. Well, believe it or not, he didn't have seven trillion five hundred million. And so he prostrated himself on the ground and pleaded with the king that he would just give him some time. He would pay it back. But the king, knowing that was impossible, simply forgave him the debt. And that servant got up, that burden lifted from him, and immediately went out and found a fellow servant who owed him 13,700 bucks. Pay up, or I'll throw you in debtor's prison with your family. But the fellow didn't have the 13,700, and so he fell to the ground and pleaded that he would be given time to pay it back. But the servant who had been forgiven so very much, with hardness of heart, refused to forgive the debt and sent that servant and his family to debtor's prison. Those around took notice, and then they went to the king, and they told him about this servant who had been given such great forgiveness and his unforgiving heart. And the king said to him, having been forgiven so much, why can't you forgive so little in comparison? The Scriptures tell us that David is a man after God's own heart. But how? Well, we've seen David as a man with clay feet clear up to his armpits, but there was this thing about him that he, he had a heart for the living God, and he had a part of God's heart. We see it in this passage. And as we begin, reminded that with the new year comes opportunity to do the next right thing. And for David, that next right thing was orchestrated by another betrayal. Verse 1 of chapter 26, And then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding in the hill of Hakalah? <laughs> now this is the second time the Ziphites have snitched on David. And once again, David is put in this spot. where doing the next right things means being engaged and aware of God's workings. So that now that Saul is aware of David's hideout area, God allows Saul, as it says in verse 2, Saul rose and went down to the wilderness as if having with him 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul camped in the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jezbon, beside the road, and David was staying in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies, and he knew that Saul was definitely coming. So David is engaged. He sends out spies. He is aware of the movements of uh, Saul, but he doesn't just stop there, for he personally gets involved as well. 
In verse 5, and David arose and came to the place where Saul had camped, and David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, and the commander of his army, and Saul was lying in the circle of the camp and the people who camped around him. 3,000 soldiers out looking for David and his 600 fighting men. Saul, David's foe, who is pursuing David for the purpose of killing him, and settles into camp. And David observes where he is, right in the middle of this great widening circle of 3,000 soldiers. But David perceives that God wants David to confront Saul. And it takes courage to do the next right thing. And so David comes up with a plan, a courageous plan, He's going to go right into the middle of the camp and confront Saul. And then David said to Himelech the Hittite and Abishai the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, saying, who'll go down with me to Saul in the camp? In the middle of the night, through 3,000 soldiers, right into the middle of the camp. Who'll do that with me? And his nephew, Abishai, says, I'm in. (laughs) You know, sometimes it, it helps to have courageous people with you when you are sent to do the hard thing. And Abishai is one of those guys. It's interesting, David had, uh, is it six brothers or seven? But it's not any of his nephews of his brothers, but it is this one sister who has these three boys, and all of them are warriors at heart. Joab, who will oversee David's fighting men, and the youngest, Abishai. And Abishai is all in. Abishai, we'll learn later, became leader of the 30. He was the chief of the 30, of the 30 best fighters that David had, and they followed what Abishai said because of that courageous heart and commitment to the living God. Matter of fact, we're told on one occasion, Abishai stood with spear by himself, and took out 300 of God's enemies at one time. So God is granting David this great courage to follow this interesting plan of confronting Saul. Can you picture it? Can you picture it with me? Two guys in the middle of the night going into a camp of 3,000 soldiers. all the way in to the very middle. God gave courage to confront, but He will give David courage to resist the temptation for vengeance. Abishai comes to proper conclusion in verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 6. No, I'm right, verse 8. I hate it when you're right and think you're wrong, don't you? 
probably never happens to you. It happens to me all the time, although Sharon says, no, you were wrong. <clears throat> and then Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. It is a truth. It happened. Here is David. Here's Abishai. They're standing right over Saul. And God has delivered this man who wants to kill him right into the hand of David. But though he came and understanding where they were at, he followed with the wrong conclusion. And he said to David, please, let me strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke. I will not strike him a second time. Let me take vengeance. Let me take revenge. Let me kill him. He won't suffer. It'll be quick. It will be sure. But David, verse 9, refuses. Said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can strike out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David forgives his enemy. And David spares the life of his enemy. Who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed? Who can stretch out his hand against Yahweh's Mashiach? Against the Lord of hosts, Messiah? against the true and living God's anointed one. In the Septuagint, who can stretch out his hand against the Kurios, the, the Lord's Christos, against the Lord's Christ? Who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's Christ and be without guilt? And though David may not fully understand all of the ramifications that will come with the one who was birthed in Bethlehem, who truly was the anointed of the Lord, the one that had been promised even to David, the one who would sit upon his throne forever and ever and ever, the one who ultimately came with the anointing of the Lord with the purpose to die upon the cross, to pay the penalty for sin, the one who would make it possible that our seven trillion 500 million dollars of sin could genuinely be forgiven. But to stretch out your hand and to say, no, no, I don't want what Christ has to offer. You will not stay guiltless when you stretch out your hand against his Christ. Or who, having received the abundance of forgiveness, can stretch out your hand and say, no, no, I will not forgive that 13,700. It's too much. You ask too much of me. But not so David, a man after God's own heart, who understands that the Lord is compassionate and forgiving. And through his anointed, it makes it possible for that forgiveness to take place. 
David spares his life. He forgives his enemy. Now, how could he possibly do that? In verse 10, we see the, in, the insight. David says to us, or excuse me, and David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him, or his day will come and that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. David has just experienced the um, fact that Nabal stood against him, but God struck Nabal. It's possible. You see, David is willing to give justice to God. And God does justice very, very well. It could be that God will strike Saul, not David. It could be that in God's providential plan, he will simply come to the end of his days and he will die of old age. I'll leave that in the hands of the Lord for his justice to be accomplished. Or it could be he'll go into battle and he will not come out of battle that day, but he will die. How can we forgive? Now I recognize in comparison 13,700 <laughs> to 7 trillion. 13,000 bucks to some of us. You know, remember the old saying, a million here, a million there, pretty certain it adds up to money? <laughs> oh, for the old days, right? You know, when they're only spending millions. That 13,000 bucks is a lot. That pain, that hurt, that sin against me, it's a lot. I've had many wonderful years and 43 years of pastoring, many wonderful years, but I had one horrible year, worst year of ministry ever. I mean, wow. In that year, we took on three new elders. One of those elders was a, a dear friend of mine. <laughs> we, on Easter, for the last three years in a row, had had him and his family over to our house. I loved the brother, and I thought he'd make an excellent elder. But the first thing he did was led these other two men into hurting deeply the executive pastor of our church. And that hurt me. <laughs> and that's the result of that deep hurt to this dear brother faithful servant of God, why several of the people in the church left. Eventually, at the end of the year, when he was getting ready to leave, this elder who had caused so much trouble came to me and said to me, you don't preach the gospel and I'm going to leave. And I thought, man, you know, 39 years of preaching the gospel. What do you mean I don't preach the gospel? Well, you, you don't emphasize repentance with weeping and, and, and moaning, and, and you don't preach the gospel. Well, I hate to tell him that, but I actually think that's a distortion of the gospel. Sometimes there's weeping and sometimes there's not, but there is always that repentance of turning from sin to Christ. But there he was, left. Now, to me, it was way more than the 13,700, I'll tell you. It was, it was deep hurt. It was, it was devastating. 
he had harmed the church of Jesus Christ locally manifested where I had the privilege of pastoring. He had wounded a brother, a dear brother, deeply. He had offended others, and he personally attacked me. And here's the kicker, right? Although he left our church, his family still came to our soccer program so that every Saturday, every Saturday, I had to see him. Now, at first, I saw him like this. (laughs) And then God reminded me, Oh, you've been forgiven that 7 trillion, 500 million. Your sins are so black. Your rebellion against me was so hurtful. But my anointed one, my Messiah, my Christ, went to the cross so that I could forgive you, so that that debt could be paid in full and my justice met. Now what are you going to do about it? Oh Holy Spirit, I need your help so that the next time on Saturday morning I to which he (laughs) turned away so he wouldn't have to respond. Then the next Saturday get a little closer And finally, on the third Saturday, I was able to say, hi, Bill, how you doing? How's the family? David was able to forgive his enemy and spare his life because he entrusted justice to God. He'll take care of it. Perhaps the Lord will take him out. Perhaps he'll live a ripe old age. Perhaps he'll die in battle. But God will take care of it. I don't have to. I don't have to worry about the justice. I am free to spare his life and let him live. Concrete demonstration of that forgiveness in verse 11 The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but now please take the spear that is at the head of the jug of water and the jug of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head, and they went away, but no one saw or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because the sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on him. God had granted him the courage he needed, and he had supernaturally worked so that they went into the camp and out of the camp, and the soldiers slept like babies. Well, actually, they didn't. They didn't wake up every 15 minutes. So they just slept like old men do. And I can attest to that. In this year of 2023, we need to be those who follow God's leading. And we need to be people who are willing to forgive. To forgive spouses. Oh, boy, probably no hurts come like the hurts that come from spouses. Rarely intentional, but sometimes, but always hurtful and harmful and cutting to the deep. Sometimes we need to forgive siblings. Sometimes we need to forgive bosses. Sometimes we need to forgive people who we're responsible for. Sometimes we need to forgive parents or 
children, especially adult children. God will give us opportunities to forgive. It'll take courage and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And when that forgiveness is given in verse 17, it may include confrontation of truth so that uh, David cries out to Abner. He chides him. He challenges him. He says, why didn't you guard the king? Someone has snuck in and could have killed him. Now they have his spear and his jug of water. But when Saul heard David's voice, it says in verse 17, Saul recognized David's voice and said, is that your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my lord the king. He also said, why then is my lord pursuing his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my lord the king listen to the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred up uh, you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is men, cursed are they before the lord. For they have driven me out today so that I would have no attachment with the inheritance of the lord, saying, go, serve other gods. Now then, do not let my blood fall on the ground away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. David confronts Saul with truth. He's forgiven him, but he says, why on earth are you after me? You are the one who endangers my life. I don't endanger yours. I have served your loyalty, and yet you sent me on many assignments with the purpose to have me killed. And you yourself have tried to kill me many times. Why? Forgiveness may include confrontation of truth. Sometimes forgiveness will entail setting boundaries. The account continues in verse 21, and then Saul said, I have sinned, return my son, for I will not harm you again because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have committed a serious error. And David replied, behold the spear of the king, now let one of the young men come over and take it. It does appear that Saul is genuinely um, uh, struck in his soul. He recognized that he has been forgiven, his life has been spared, he is responding to David, but he also acknowledges that he is a fool, a biblical fool, the worst in all of the world. You cannot trust biblical fools. They seek only for themselves and the harm to others they could care less about. And so David is wise enough, even though he is invited back into the sphere of Saul, to say, no thank you. You've been forgiven, your life has been spared, but there are boundaries here. And I will not come into your sphere. I will not endanger my life in your presence. That happened to the church in South Carolina. Do you remember when the white racist killed brothers and sisters in Christ in their Bible and that church and the grace of Christ and the understanding of how much they had been forgiven forgave that young man, but wisely allow the government to try him, convict him, and sentence him. Boundary was drawn. Forgiveness, yes, sometimes boundaries. But always blessing.
The passage concludes as David says to Saul, The Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now behold us, your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me from all distress. And then Saul said to David, Blessed are you, my son David. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. The reward of the Lord, the protection of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord, and even the blessing of the one forgiven. So what is the next right step for you in 2023? For some of you here today, that next right step needs to be to forgive the one who has sinned against you. With God's supernatural help, will you take courage acting as the Lord would have you to, granting forgiveness and trusting God for justice. Having forgiven, you may still have to confront with truth and perhaps have to set boundaries, but you will experience the blessing from the Lord. Can I ask you, how much has the Lord forgiven you? Do you sense the greatest debt of your sin that he forgave? And how often has he forgiven you? Over and over and over again. Can you not having been forgiven so much and so often, can you not, in the power of the Holy Spirit, forgive the one who sins against you? Doing the next right thing in 2023 may well mean forgiving the one who sinned against you. Father, the truth right now is easy to proclaim, but in the quiet moment of the deep hurt that has come our way, we may be tempted to forget, to hold grudge, to live with bitterness. I ask today that your spirit would help us to see your heart, that we are to forgive continually. As you have forgiven us, may that be true in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.